Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, when you, uh, sometimes, let me say this, sometimes you just meet someone in life who immediately you feel like is a kindred spirit, and also every interaction you have with them is so joyous that you just want to share them with as many people as possible, and that is my experience with Mark J. Franklin. Mark is a photographer, photo editor, and journalist at Playbill Magazine, aka the Broadway Bible. And I kept seeing Mark at Broadway events and at red carpets. And every time I had my picture taken by him, I felt unselfconscious, which is, that's a a little known fact um, that I want to share right now. And that is a rare thing to just feel completely at ease in the most unnatural of circumstances, which is a red carpet event. Um, He's so talented. His work is so beautiful. He is such a joyous, incredibly inspiring human, and I am so thrilled that I get to share him with you today because it's just going to make your day feel great. So welcome, Mark, to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Mark J. Franklin. Mark is a New York City-based photographer specializing in portrait and editorial photography, who is currently working as the photo editor and principal photographer for Playbill. His photos have been featured in the New York Times, the LA Times, Vogue Elle, the Paris Review, Out Magazine, and many, many more. Highlight subjects that Mark has photographed include Hillary Clinton, Andrew Garfield, Adam Driver, Tina Fey, Jeremy Pope, Darren Chris, and many, many others. I am so thrilled to welcome the extraordinary Mark J. Franklin to the podcast. Hi, Mark. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. This is a true honor. Oh, well, I have had the honor of um, looking at your beautiful work and then getting to know you as we both... um, run around the world that is Broadway together. Um, (laughs) And the thing that is so um, always heartening about you is your smile. Like not only do you make beautiful work, but you just put out such positivity into the world, which is why I wanted to have you on the podcast to share your goodness. Oh, thank you so much. I don't know. I feel like photography and theater, like it's all such a passionate thing. And I think especially after this world that we've kind of been through in the last, you know, year and a half, two years, what is there not to be positive about? It's hard work, obviously, but like, we're not doctors, we're not saving lives. Like it's, you do it because it is a, a, 
a passion and a joy and not the other way around. So I try to keep that first and foremost. I mean, I think a lot about sort of the ways in which people have an idea about something they want to do with their lives. And there's always sort of an origin story behind it. And I'd love to know a little bit more about where you are from, what was life like in the house you grew up in, and how did this um, world of artistry enter your your DNA, as it were? Sure. Um, I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland, um, which is really funny because the two things that I always get when I tell people that it's either, oh, so it's like The Wire or it's like Hairspray. <laughs> which, and which was your, what, what was your Baltimore? I mean, a little bit mix of both. Baltimore, like as a, I'm, it's a major city, but also I was a creative kid. So definitely saw the world with a little bit more of like the creative bubbly side <laughs> of that. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, I was a creative kid all growing up. I was really um, kind of nerdy and bookish and I loved drawing. I loved art of all forms. Um, I did theater in high school. Um and I also was like in chorus and I played an instrument and I did like speech and debate, like all of those things. I was definitely like um, an overachiever <laughs> um, and definitely spread myself too thin trying to like dive into all of those things. Um, and so, yeah, I, to, to the origin story of it though was, yeah, I just kind of um, had a bunch of just artistic interests. And then I went to college at Boston College for theater um, and English, but I had always loved photography. And my junior year, I was just kind of doing too much of, you know, between overloading with my double major and classes um, and then all of these extracurriculars that I had added on, I just kind of got to a point where I was burned out and I said, I'm not going to do anything for a semester that is like productive, quote unquote. And instead, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I've always wanted to explore photography um, like in a more uh, structured way. I had always had like point and shoot cameras and all of that stuff. But I said, I'm going to dive into photography. So I got my first DSLR camera, um, which stands for Digital Single Lens Reflector. Um, there's a mirror on the inside of, of your camera. That's all the technical stuff. But um, I got one of those and really just started exploring and playing and providing myself um, with another creative outlet since I was just too overcommitted and too kind of stressed out um, with like coursework and stuff. So I did that. And then I also, I consider it my junior year crisis instead of my over, uh, my quarter life crisis. I sent no to things. I got a camera. I almost got a tattoo uh, <laughs> and I now have two of them, but I almost got a tattoo and then I stopped eating meat. <laughs> like I became a vegetarian. And the ones that stuck were being a vegetarian and photography. <laughs> When do you start kind of taking pictures of the world of theater and theater artists? That was almost pretty immediately. Um, since I studied theater, I was in a BA program and I knew that my friends and my classmates were the people that I had to, to collaborate with. So um, 
also it's junior year of college and so many people needed portfolio pieces, especially designers, if they were applying to grad school. So almost, you know, two weeks um, into having my camera, my friends were like, I need to put together a portfolio of, of shots for my grad school applications. Um, they have a production photographer, but I'm looking for someone who can just capture my design as a whole. So I dove that way. And then also just practiced with headshots and uh, both headshots, but then also taking my friends out and trying to do something more editorial and creative, um, which is interesting. This is before the world of Instagram. It's before... Um, or like, I, I think, I don't remember exactly when um, Instagram uh, launched, but it's 2011. The way that we view photography and used Instagram um, has completely shifted. I think at the time, most of us thought of like Instagram as the little app that you can use to put like a fun filter over your photo rather than like curating a brand, quote unquote, and all of those things. Exactly. So, um, and even my early things that I was shooting, I didn't post on Instagram or use Instagram because I thought I'm editing this myself. I don't need to put a filter on this. So I just didn't share them. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was 20, 2011, almost, yeah, 10 years ago. Okay. Well, when I think of the names of people that I read off that you have photographed in, in, in a decade since this, um, moment you're describing happened, Hillary Clinton, Andrew Garfield, Tina Fey, um, me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will, I, we need to do like some feature photography um, because I photographed you on step and repeats, but we have not, step and repeats are always so tricky because you have 30 seconds with a person before they get into their event. Like they just want to go see their show. They want to go into their party and everyone is really nice, but like the photos are not the main event. The photos are the formality so you can get your ticket to go into the thing. Exactly. <laughs> so one day exactly. You and I will That's how we sing for our supper to to get into the thing that we want to see. Also, yes. the red carpet thing, that's such an I would love to talk to you about that because there's also a good red carpet is orchestrated in a way so that you and the photographer have a moment with each other. Mm-hmm. That's a successful red carpet event. Mm-hmm. Often there are many <laughs> photographers and and all of them are trying to get a shot and sort of vying for your eyeline. And mm-hmm. it feels really strange as the person on the red carpet because you want to make sure that everybody, that you connect with all the artists on both sides, the photographer, artist, and you as the artist trying to curate some kind of moment um, mm-hmm. in the mayhem. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, just figuring out that um, would be a great conversation so that everyone is respected in the process. The most successful red carpets that I have found, they've, it's just orderly, right? Like, and, be, and it's hard because there is so much happening. There are a bunch of photographers, there's a bunch of people. But if you're able to just go down the line, it makes it a lot easier and smoother if you go down the line and you're prepared. And part of that is just knowing like, to smile or to give your smiles or whatever look that you want to. Um, it's not always like the best place to chit chat, which happens a lot specifically on the Broadway beat because we all know each other. Yeah. But the moment you start chit chatting, even though you are so excited to like, I'm so excited when I see my colleagues on a red carpet, but I'm like, if I start chatting, this is going to just 
completely mess up the assembly line. Exactly. Um, Not to mention a lot of pictures of people half, you know, talking instead of. Right. <laughs> um, so, but a lot of messy thing, pictures. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the balance that I always try to, to give when people are in front of me on the red carpet is like practice. Just know that you're just going to like smile, step and repeat. And then on my end, similarly, I'm thinking just be prepared, be prepared um, for the fast paced nature of it. Don't be the person to hold things up, but also still be warm enough so that you're getting a, an authentic smile. And also if like step and repeat for me, at least, especially when you're on a press line, and you're not the house photographer and you can't float and do all of those things. They are not high art. So this is not my chance to stage a feature photo shoot with someone. This is my chance to get someone smiling, looking great. The point of it is to show you were there, not exactly. like and this is the Vogue exactly, cover. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So how long after you got to New York did the Playbill job come up? Um, a year and a half. Yeah, I moved in the summer of 2015 and I got hired January of 2017. So yeah. How did you pay bills for the year and a half that you were here before you had a a steady gig? I worked so many jobs. Like what were were the jobs? Um, I worked at a restaurant as a host. I worked for actually um, um, a theater um, uh, licensing and publishing company called Dramatist Play Service. So I worked with them as an admin. I just did like I just mailed, since they, people order scripts, I just mailed a whole bunch of scripts from their mailroom and did like odds and ends. I did that. I was an assistant to a film actor who had his own production company. So I did that. I also was the social media director for two theater companies still back in Boston. And then I freelanced. (laughs) But I think for me in Boston, I had to have a full-time job and able to support myself. So, So I was working at the um, Boston Children's Hospital in a completely different career field. It wasn't my career, but I recognize like market research and that is a complete, that's someone's career. And I moved to the city and I knew from those that time after, you know, between 22 and 25 when I was in Boston, I don't, I learned that when I moved to New York, I did not want to work another full-time job and then do my creative passion on the side. I wanted my creative life to be my full-time job. And I would rather do smaller jobs that maybe didn't pay enough, but did enough to you know help me pay my rent. I'd rather do that because then when I log out of work at my host stand job, I don't have to think about that at the end of the day. I can go off, I have flexibility, I have time. I don't have to you know, check the email and, and think, okay, how is the restaurant doing? That's not my business. <laughs> so I gave myself those jobs to be able to provide more flexibility and freedom for my own creative practice with the hopes that it would become full-time. And then it did. In the middle of all this, about... Two years into the job, COVID strikes. Um, what happens to your job and Playbill, which is the touchstone um, of of our industry in so many ways? What happened? Yeah. Um, so 
I'm still like parsing out what happened because so much of that experience was just keep the ball rolling. Um, and so, yeah, so COVID happened after three years of me being at Play. Okay, okay. And I, my job had just grown so much. And is that so, because you're one of these people who doesn't just do what you're asked to do, but sees what else needs to be done and and jumps in? Yeah, okay. for sure. That's my impression. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because also in addition to photographing, I'm also writing. I also, even outside of covering writing features that I am photographing, I like writing in general. So I also write a bunch for our site. Um, I create my own features uh, um, myself. So, so I just had a... And because I'd been there for three years, I had a big understanding of the editorial side of things beyond just the the photographing side. Um, and so in addition to me creating artwork before the pandemic, I was also using pre-existing artwork to tell stories, whether that is lookbacks, quizzes, deep dives into theater history. So I had all of that. And so when COVID struck, um, unfortunately, we had to let go of the rest of our photo team except me. So the, the three-person photo team became just me. Um, and I really dove into more of the writing and and research and, and um, even some of the listicle aspects of my job. Really, at that point, my job was just to use photos and images to continue telling stories, especially because um, theater fans and the theater world didn't shut down because even though the physical spaces did, there was still plenty of digital theater. There were still plenty of stories happening um, throughout that pandemic. And so I was just making content and still, I saw my my job as twofold. Um, I always have viewed it this way, but it really crystallized um, during the pandemic. My job is to engage fans and the community um, to tell the news um, and visualize the news. Um, and then also to shine a spotlight on all of the behind the scenes and lesser known stories that exist in the theater world. And so I got to do that. I did a lot of deep dives into talking to designers where it's a unpack your career, show me from start to finish five of your favorite designs and why. I would do things where I would just reach out to, to folks um, and, um, and, and say, can you show me what your life is like as an actor now? Take photos and we'll do a gallery and an interview. Um, can you let me commission another photographer for and, and, and showcase their own theater project that they are doing um, during the pandemic. And then also it, it's a lot of making fun content that is, you know, for the website, like look at these, you know, 27 imagine, imaginative musicals or can you name the quizzes with like um, with images attached that would be like, can you name this musical based only on its, you know, title song? So it was a lot of that. And I think it was challenging. It's a, It was a lot of just making things, once again, to keep the ball rolling without knowing when things would, would return. So uh, talk about when it returned, because I remember seeing you when things started opening up. I was like, how is this person everywhere at once 
There was so much going on. Yes. I think that's, it's a lot. It, It really feels, I think, like the, the, ball started the engine started um rubbing up very quickly Mm -hmm. um at first when we first kind of got back uh, uh, for theater press at least um people didn't really know what that would look like what access would we be allowed what would red carpet look like would they still exist who knows um and then very quickly it just kind of ramped up in this really big way, especially because so many shows opened in at the beginning of September. So, I mean, I remember trying to cover, there was that one fateful night, I think it was the 14th of September, where like Hamilton, Wicked, The Lion King, uh, Lackawanna Blues, and some other show I do not remember, um, opened all at the same time and just trying to figure out, okay, where, how can I cover all of this? And if I can't physically be there, can do we have photographers from the production who are able to send us photos because once again I still have to write that as well and so I think balance has been a really tricky thing that I've been trying to figure out um in in this time but it's also really exciting I mean these are truly historic moments that I'm able to capture and document for for history um and I don't take that lightly. And there are times when I'm like, you know, I'm really tired, but I'm going to try my best to be present to document this. Both once again, to give a visual eye for it, but then also even a little selfishly as a theater fan to be able to say I'm in those rooms and I'm in those spaces. Um, And then also the very last part is I haven't gotten to see so many of my colleagues for a year and a half. And even though I am in press and I try to maintain a certain level of objectivity and distance. Um, I really, you know, the theater community is small. So even though I'm able to be objective, I still see these folks and New York is small. I'm neighbors with my colleagues and all of these things. And so all of these reunions also, uh, these reopenings feel like reunions. They feel like opportunities to just even check in on folks like at a red carpet like I said, I, I'm not able to talk very much, but the amount of times that I'm like, how are you doing? You're doing okay? It's nice to see you. Let's take a photo. Like it's been a lot of that. So um, the short version of uh, my answer is it's a lot, but it's also super rewarding. When you think back to uh, your childhood, did you ever, like, did you, I mean, Maryland, you can get to New York City, you can see Mm -hmm. a Broadway show. Um, You were not, you know, in Iowa, where it would have been a really big deal for your family to get here. So did you come see Broadway as a kid? I didn't. Um, What was the first Broadway show you ever saw? It was the revival, the 2006, I think it opened, 2000. Mid two thousands revival of Les Mis. That was the first show I ever saw with my high school theater department. We always did like a, a trip to New York, um, and you know I grew up poor. I couldn't afford it my freshman and sophomore year, so I didn't. Uh, but we, I, I went and joined my junior and senior year. So the first show that I ever saw was Hairspray. And I was, oh, not Hairspray, sorry. That was my second year. That was my senior year show that we came and saw that Hairspray on Broadway. But Les Mis, it was my first time being on Broadway. Um, I 
was it my first time in New York? It might have been. Mm -hmm. And it was just magical. I immediately was like, I want to be a part of this environment. Um, Once again, being a creative kid and, and seeing these spaces in which people were making their full lives out of being an artist um, in this city that was vibrant and bustling. And and I just knew that I wanted to be a part of it in some way, shape or form. And then I went to college and I started doing photography. And then even what was interesting is I, even though I, a lot of my career has been tied to the theater, I consider my career as a theater artist, very separate from my career as a photographer and as a journalist. And they're in tandem. But even as a photographer, I didn't think that I would ever be working on Broadway. I thought I'd be doing something else as a photographer um, because I really love magazines and I love journalism and I love newspapers. And I thought I would be more in that world rather than the theater world. So what I'm doing now is a perfect blend of all of those, but never in my wildest dreams that I think I would be doing what I'm doing now. And it's, it's still like pinch me moments that I have. I'm like, oh, that is, it is crazy to me that I can text LaShans. Like that is wild. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it doesn't, yeah, I'm still glowing about it. (laughs) Can I ask you a question? Of course. Because I know you are a performer as well, as well as, you know, doing this podcast and a storyteller. For you, from the performer side of it, like, are there... What is it like juggling press and and showing parts of yourself while also trying to protect yourself um, and have your own sense of privacy? I feel like I love talking about the creative process and I love sharing with people about that. Each opening night to me is a miracle having been a part of so many plays that were either successful or not successful, what they all have in common is the work and love and passion for that particular project. And then we still live in a world where like one newspaper can decide how many people are going to get to see it. Mm-hmm. But opening night, no reviews have come out yet. It is mm-hmm. all about just the work and celebrating. I mean, with musicals, that track is years and years and years and years of development for plays. Sometimes it's a little shorter. So whether I'm in the thing or just there celebrating the thing, the idea that I can be a part in any way. And honestly, my husband is a really recognizable person. They have me come, but really they want Dominic there and I'm fine oh with God. that. Please. <laughs> Are you kidding me? We, like I like the, similar to what you just said when you know everybody. Like we are all so excited when we see you on a red carpet because we know you and also like you are so just like heart first driven. Like I know I always get so excited when I see you on a red carpet, as does everyone else uh, both well, on the media side, so but then sweet. also your colleagues. Yeah. I'm just also stating the truth. Well, you are a doll. Um, Before I let you go, take mm-hmm. photographs and write stories and be a historian as well. Um, Can you share a little known fact about yourself? Yes. So um, something, so my friends know this, but something that I think the theater community at large may not know is that I am an identical twin. Um, That's how you're everywhere at once. That is how you're everywhere. 
But what's also very fun is my twin brother is also a journalist. Stop <laughs> um, it. Stop he it. Is a previews editor at the New York Times, which makes things really funny because the New York Times is just what on 40th Street and I our office is on 49th. So the amount of times that I will run into his colleagues and they'll be like, hi, his name is MJ. And they'll be like, hi, MJ. And I have to be like, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. And vice versa, like the amount of actors and other colleagues who don't even, you know, know me that that well, but recognize me and I recognize them they will see him think he's me and then they'll be like oh mark really just numbed me today but and wait a minute <laughs> your initials are mj you are mark j franklin yes so are he, is mj short for something or yeah so okay. he his name is michael jerome i'm mark jeremy and so we and so he goes by mj i only go by mark um i just it's funny i use the j at, at professionally in my name for just google seo purposes sure but, um yeah so we're we're very identical we're very similar it is like a lot of um uh like sister, sister, Mary, Kate and Ashley style things. But that also affects how I photograph. I'm very conscious of how I photograph two people at the same time because I have done every cheesy twin photo you have ever thought of or seen. I have done those when I was growing up. (laughs) And I vowed I will never put another person through that. Okay. First of all, I need for when I post, um, about this episode. I do need a picture of you and MJ, if that's okay, to share. Um, That's incredible. My husband's a twin, not identical. He has a twin sister, but obsessed with twins. Wondered if I have a twin, myself have twins. There's so many twins in our family. I think it's such (laughs) a magical, magical relationship to have. Mm -hmm. Um, He's truly my best friend. Well, that's incredible. It doesn't always go that way. And so how beautiful that it that it did. Um, Mark J. Franklin for SEO purposes. Um, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for your effervescent personality, your generosity of spirit, your incredible talent. You're such a gifted, beautiful artist. And um, for just bringing so much integrity and humanity to what you do and to every event. And thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. And likewise, back to you. Thank you for one, having me. I mean, this podcast is an institution in its own right. It is such a beacon of hope and empathy. And I just feel really honored to to be on this and then also just to to know you um so thank you for similarly sharing shining a spotlight on the theater community oh my god you're such a sweetie One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out. And I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So, there you go. These are little known facts that now you know. The episode was edited by Nicholas Klar. 
we recorded in New York City, and the Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded by Georgia Famusa with backups by Caleb Famusa. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit